John chapter 8, beginning in verse 31, and I'll read through the end of the chapter. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if, you, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God, and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand me, or understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and, you, and your will is to your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. The Jews answered him, Are we not right in saying that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. Yet I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks it, and he is the judge. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. The Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham died, as did the prophets. Yet you say, if anyone keeps my word, he will not taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham who died? And the prophets died. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my father who glorifies me, of whom you say he is our God. But you have not known him. I know him. If I were to say that I do not know him, I would be a liar like you. But I do, not, I do know him and I keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you are not 50 years old and you have seen Abraham Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. You've heard the cliche probably, 
um, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. And that's just a way to express uh, that we often, people often, resemble their parents. They often take on the shape and the form, character traits, personality types, outlook on the world of their parents and the way that they were raised. You get the idea. For better or for worse, we often take on similar shape and form of our parents. This is a big chunk of John chapter 8, but a really pivotal interaction, and actually a really incredible interaction that Jesus has with the Jews, who we learn in verse 30 were the ones who believed in him. Now, this is a strange way to approach a group of people who just said that they believe in him, but, the, but Jesus is doing something very specific here. He presses these people who believe in him. If you remember last time we were together in John 8, it's actually been quite a while, so let's do a bit of a refresher. If we look earlier in John chapter 8, Jesus made the statement in verse 12. He said, I am the light of the world. And when he says, I am the light of the world, what he's saying is that I bring about God's plan of redemption. I am showing you how to live life and how to uh, see all of reality. And so after Jesus does this and has this interaction with the Pharisees, uh, he actually, um, he speaks to them and says, the father bears witness to me that I came into the world to be the light of the world. I am the only light of the world. There is no way to get to the father except in me. He's going to say that even more clearly when we get to John 14. But Jesus, being the only light of the world, uh, confronts every other thing that uh, men and women and boys and girls are tempted to place their trust in, are tempted to walk life by, according to. And so when he confronts this, we're told at the end of that section, in verse 30, that many believed in him. So what is Jesus doing here? He's pressing those who believe even farther. He's going after them. I think sometimes if you read this, you might be thinking to yourself when you get to verse 31, after verse 30, that Jesus is actually addressing a new group of people. He's not. He's addressing the same group of people here. And he's actually posing a question to this group of people who, in verse 30, we're told believe. He's pressing the nature of their belief. Do they understand in a way where their head has been engaged? And they're like, yeah, okay, I can, I can get behind this. Or... Is this actual truth that has taken root in their hearts? If you think, if, we've, if you've been with us since September of 2020 when we started looking at John's gospel together, and you think that Jesus is indifferent to superficial, surface-level Christianity, then this passage should clear it all up for you. He goes right after these people. And, and ask, we have to ask our question, will this belief that we hear about in verse 30 take root? Verse 59 gives us our answer. If you look in your Bible, that's the, that's the end of this passage, but we'll get there. Before, though, we dive in and start to break down what we see here in these verses, I want to remind you of a parable that Jesus tells in, well, he tells it in Matthew's and Mark's gospel. Let me read from Mark's gospel. Jesus in Mark 4, 3 through 9, this is the parable of the four soils, sometimes called the parable of the sower. He says, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. 
other seed fell on the rocky ground where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. Or uh, immediately sprang, sprang up. And since it had no depth of soil, when the sun arose, it was scorched. And since it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell on into good soil and produced grain, growing up, increasing, and yielding thirtyfold, sixtyfold, and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus, in a few verses after he tells the parable of the four soils, actually goes on to interpret it. And he, he says that the seed that falls on the path, um, Satan comes and snatches that seed away. And the seed that falls on the rocky soil, it has no root. And so when the sun comes out, it can't endure difficulty. It can't endure adversity in its world. And then there's seed that falls among the soils. And then worldly cares, money, things like that, come and choke it out. Temporary things come and rob it of becoming mature. And then there's the good soil. Uh, the good soil, which accepts Jesus' words, and then it bears fruit. So here, in John chapter 8, Jesus confronts this group of Jews that were told to believe. In verse 30, he confronts them with difficult truth. He confronts them with uh, the fire of his own words. He begins to tell them about what it means to believe in him fully. And the seed is found to fall in on one or two soils here. The rocky ground is the first. Will it have fallen on good soil? Or will it have fallen on rocky soil? Will there be root that takes place in the ground and when made to endure the difficulty of the words that Jesus speaks here, will it endure or will it fall away? When Jesus interprets the parable of the four soils about the rocky soil, he says, And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no root in themselves, but endure for a while. Then when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. Immediately they fall away. This is a... This is a really hard passage to internalize. The passage that we're reading here in verses 31 through 59 in John chapter 8 is really hard to internalize because of the way Jesus just immediately goes after these people. The way that he immediately takes on the belief that they have and tests it. This is the forging of faith. This is what it looks like to grow in faith. There, is their belief real? Can it endure when truth comes at it hard? Can our faith endure when truth comes at it hard? Can it endure? Friends, God's word is continually exposing in us. Continually exposing in us the things that we put our faith in that are not Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus does here. Through his word, he exposes something that this crowd, this group of Jews, who in verse 30 were told believe, are tempted and continue to put their trust in that is not him. And if we trust anything other than Jesus in the truth that he gives us through his words, then 
we do not, the result is, we do not have God as our Father. If you go back to verse 12 again in chapter 8, we should begin to see clearly the reason that Jesus came into the world. When he says, I am the light of the world, he is saying that you can have relationship with God the Father. A relationship that was broken because of sin. Our sin and our sin nature make us objects of God's wrath, but through Jesus Christ, when we believe in him, we turn from our sin, we are no longer objects of God's wrath, but become sons and daughters. Apart from Jesus Christ, God the Father is unknowable. You cannot know God the Father apart from Jesus Christ. There is no way. We can have no relationship with God the Father apart from faith in Jesus Christ. This is what it means that Jesus is the light of the world. And this is what it means, what, what we're going to explore together, what this means, this text here this morning. The path is unknowable and walk, unwalkable apart from Jesus. Apart from Jesus Christ, just like Jesus says in verse 24 of John 8, you will die in your sins. So, what Jesus does here after these Jews in verse 30 believe is to test the roots. Are the roots deep enough to endure the full force of truth brought by himself? So, let's look. The first thing I want you to see in this text, the truth that Jesus gives is the nature of true discipleship. Will these individuals who have believed, are their roots deep enough to endure the full force of truth about the nature of true discipleship? Look at verses 31 and 32 right away in our passage. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And if you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, this is a pretty common verse. We've heard this a lot. If you abide, Jesus starts out by saying, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciple. And when he's saying abide, he means if you accept and continue it. If you accept and live according to. If you accept and walk in my word. If you abide in my word. And this is the setup right, of what Jesus is going to say, because they don't abide in his word. They quickly turn and do not continue in this passage, according to what Jesus said. They cannot, this group of people cannot accept what is true. And so we very quickly learn in this passage that the nature of true discipleship is accepting Jesus's words as truth and continuing in them, regardless of challenges or complexity. Now, sometimes as Christians, what we like to do is talk about nuances. We like to talk about the complexity of our own lives and the reality in which we live um, that is different from everyone else and sort of gives us a free pass to ignore Jesus' word. We just explored, when we thought about the nuclear family in Ephesians 5 and 6, we just explored some areas where this happens pretty frequently, even for those who claim to follow Jesus. We say, like, well, you know, if you knew how complex my marriage is, you'd understand that I can't commit to self-sacrifice and submission. Or if you knew how complex my relationship with my parents are, then you would know that honoring them is simply out of the question. 
Or if you know how complex my life is, you'd understand I can't take full responsibility for the discipleship of my children. Jesus' words, friends, if you have, Jesus' words aren't just the words that are read in your Bible. It's the whole thing. It's everything from Genesis 1 to Revelation 21. Every word that is on the page in the book that sits before you is Jesus' word. Jesus is the, is the word of God. All of Scripture is the words of Jesus, and none of it is to be dismissed or ignored, even when it is challenging and complex. Does that mean that you'll understand everything and how it all works perfectly? All the, absolutely not. But it means that we should strive as Jesus' disciples to continually abide in his word. And again, he's given you everything that you need for that. He's given you everything that you need. You have the spirit of Christ. You have the word in front of you. You have everything that you need to continue to abide in Jesus' word. But you look at what Jesus says next, right after that comma, beginning in verse 32. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, that's kind of the common part of this verse, right? You hear that get quoted in movies and things like that. But the nature of what Jesus is saying, he's saying that true disciples will know what is true. They will know truth. And true disciples are those who abide in his word. And so this is very important because those who do not abide by Jesus' words are not his disciples. And those who are not Jesus' disciples cannot know truth. <laughs> I want you to see how big of a claim that is. He doesn't say you can't know true things. What he says is you cannot know truth. An atheist or a Muslim can know that 2 plus 2 equals 4, but they can't know why. They can't know why. The, for the follower of Jesus... The follower of Jesus is the only one who can know why 2 plus 2 equals 4. Have you thought of simple math equations are pointing to and demonstrating the character and the nature of our God? 2 plus 2 is 4 because Jesus is the author of creation and because he says 2 plus 2 is 4. And 2 plus 2 will not equal 5 tomorrow because Jesus is the, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus is the one who spun everything into existence. He is the creator. He is the, the author of life. And all of our reality is bound together and held together and made sense of by him. The truth that Jesus is talking about when he says, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, is the truth about all of reality. It's the truth about all of reality. Not just some spiritual, ethereal thing that the pastor blabbers on from the pulpit about, but all of reality. When we abide in Jesus' words as his disciples, we will see reality for what it truly is. We will see that Jesus is the light of the world and that there is no way to have life, that there is no way to walk in intimate relationship with God the Father apart from him. Both now and forever. Knowing the truth about all of reality is, Jesus says, is freedom. The second thing I want you to see here in this passage, should we see the nature of true discipleship, 
So Jesus brings the truth about the nature of true discipleship to see if the root system will abide under the full force of his, his words. But then he confronts spiritual pride. And this is where it gets real hot and heavy. So notice how the Jews respond to Jesus' statement. They immediately take offense. They're super offendable. They immediately take offense because Jesus starts talking about freedom. The truth will set them free. And then they immediately say, we've never been enslaved to anyone. They pick out that one little word and go after it. We've never been enslaved. But the, if you know your Bible, you, should be, you say, really? You've never been enslaved? Remember that whole 400-year thing in Egypt? Remember when, because of your sin, you were carried off into exile? Babylon? Remember all of those periods where you sinned against God and when the Philistines came and enslaved you in the book of Judges? Do you remember the fact that you're currently living under Roman occupation and that you can only practice like a third of what the law tells you to practice? But what they're blinded by here is their spiritual pride. Their spiritual pride. They are proud of their bloodlines and their heritage, and it makes them even question reality. The truth of their own National history is called into question here. Their spiritual pride comes from their heritage or their bloodline. They tell Jesus that Abraham is our father. We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. But Jesus isn't talking about their bloodline. He's not talking about what they've inherited from Abraham. But rather even further back, what they've inherited from Adam. Romans 5.12 says, Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Every person in the history of the world has inherited Adam's sin nature. And Jesus has come to deliver from slavery to sin. Sin is the very thing that prevents us from seeing reality for what it truly is. Sin is the very thing that prevents us from seeing reality for what it truly is. And Jesus is coming to deal with that. Jesus chooses his words carefully in verse 37. He says, I know that you are offspring of Abraham. He can acknowledge their bloodline, that they came down. That's your ancestor. But that doesn't, what he says, that doesn't make Abraham your father. It doesn't make Abraham your father. And then he tells them this. He tells them that the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Jesus has learned from his heavenly father, and they have learned not from God their father, but from the devil. Look at verse 44. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desire. Now, we say, okay, Jesus, that, that's pretty harsh. <laughs> that sounds a bit harsh. Remember what Jesus is doing here. He's pressing their belief. Has it taken root? Has it taken root? So far, their actions have indicated they're not of God, their heavenly father, but they have sought to kill Jesus, and so they are of their father, the devil. 
these Jews who seem to have believed, where are they putting their faith? Are they putting it in Jesus as the one who has come to reveal the Father to them? Jesus says they're not. Why? Because up to this point, and even now, as we see in verse 59, they're trying to kill him. And so Jesus may have Abraham, or the Jews may have had Abraham as their ancestor, but they don't have God as their father. If they did, they would love Jesus because he alone is able to make the father known to them. But instead they seek to kill Jesus and like the father of lies, Satan who deceived Adam and Eve in the garden and who prowls around the earth with murderous intent, like father, like son, these Jews seek to kill Jesus. Their intent is murderous. And so they imitate their, the devil, not Abraham. The question that we ask is, how do we imitate Abraham? By doing the works that he did. This is what Jesus said. By doing the works, you are doing the works your father did, he said. If you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. They would be doing the works of Abraham by having true faith and abiding in Jesus' word. So this is the third thing then. What are the works of Abraham? This is, this is the hinge of what Jesus says here. In verse 39, he says, if you were Abraham's children, you'd be doing the works Abraham did. We have to think back to chapter 6 of John's gospel in verses 28 through 29 when he says, or when, when John records, then they, the crowd, said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. The work of God is to believe in Jesus. These are exactly the works of Abraham that Jesus is talking about. Verse 56, in, back in chapter 8. Abraham, Jesus says, your father, Ham, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and he was glad. Jesus is saying that he's, he's the promised Messiah. That he would fulfill all the promises made to Abraham. Even the promises that Emma read this morning. That he, from Abraham's line, there as many descendants as the stars in the sky would spring forth across the whole globe. God makes a covenant with Abraham. And he changes his name because he would be the father of the multitude of nations. That, Jesus is saying, is found, the fulfillment of that is found in him. God told Abraham that he would make Abraham's descendants so numerous. And Jesus is saying that he's the one through whom the promise will be fulfilled. So the works of Abraham are to abide in God's word. For every follower of Jesus, for every true disciple, the works of Abraham are our works as well. To abide in God's word. Believing that nothing that God has promised will ever be lost or forgotten or go unfulfilled. Stop. Stop. Jesus Christ is the way through which nothing that God has promised will ever be lost or forgotten or go unfulfilled. The creator of the universe, the one who spun everything to existence, the one who clearly and confidently and continuously in the Old Testament 
gives promises to his people. Jesus Christ is the only way through which nothing that God has promised will ever be lost, ever be forgotten, or ever go unfulfilled. Jesus is the fulfillment of all the promises of God without exception. This is what the Jews here don't believe. They believe that Abraham, are you greater than our father Abraham? Yes. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 1.20, he says, all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. Abraham was the recipient of the promise. Jesus is the fulfillment. The Jews shared bloodlines with Abraham. But the way to have God as your father is not to share blood with Abraham, but to share in the faith of Abraham. The faith of Abraham that fully believes that Jesus Christ is the yes to the promises of God and the one who restores full or restores fully our relationship with God the Father. So, what should our what should our conclusion be? What should our response be to this? Because this is a big this is big stuff. You can't you can't come to this text and walk away thinking Jesus it just doesn't matter what I do this afternoon. The faith of Abraham is what we are called to. Faith that Jesus, sees Jesus Christ as the only one who can fulfill all of the promises of God made to us over and over and over and over again in Scripture. We quickly learn what our response shouldn't be from the Jews. Their faith was put to the test under the weight of Jesus' words, under the truth that Jesus spoke to them. And it was found to have taken no root at all. They questioned Jesus. How could Abraham see your day? You're like 30-something. And Jesus tells them that the truth about his, his eternality, he is God. But they can't accept it they can't continue in his word. They prove themselves not to be true disciples because they do not abide in his word. And they show that they are like they're not, not at all like their ancestor Abraham, but like their father Satan, who is seeking to murder him because they pick up the stones off the ground and try to murder him right there in verse 59. So our response. When the Word of God presses on your faith, what is your response? Now, track with me. When, when we think about the building of our faith, we often think of external circumstances, difficulties, trials, tribulations that come outside and press upon us. What we learn here is that Jesus' own Word does that for us as well. And sometimes, in greater and greater quantity. When the word of God presses on your faith, what is your response? This book should be pressing on you. Is, is your response to trust Jesus more deeply or is it to resist? 
see how Jesus does that here in this passage. He knows where the belief of the Jews is weak. He knows that the conversation is going to get, they even drive it there. They're the ones who bring up Abraham. They're going to drive it to Abraham so they could prove themselves to be trusting in their bloodlines rather than Jesus. But bloodlines can't break the bondage to sin, the, the slavery to sin that we all are born into can't be broken by your parents through whom you inherited this sin. It can't be broken by anything we say or anything we do. Hard work can't break the bondage of sin. Being kind to other people can't break the bondage of sin. Good intention, well, I meant to, can't break the bondage of sin. Nothing can break bondage to sin except for Jesus Christ. And in order to be freed from sin, its deadly effects, we must be joined to Christ by faith. The same faith that Abraham exhibited. Where are the places where God's word, when you pick it up and read it this week, where God's word is pressing your faith, exposing things that you may be trusting that are incapable of breaking bondage to sin. Maybe it's the example given right here. You may be trusting your bloodline. Your parents were strong believers. Your, past, your grandpa was a pastor. Maybe you could even trace your lineage back to Martin Luther. Something wild like that. Friends, faith is what joins us to Christ. The faith of a family member or friend cannot save you. The reputation or good works that are associated with your last name cannot save you. Ask God to reveal to you through his word this week, expose in you the things that you may be trusting. Ask the Holy Spirit in your time in Scripture to expose it. And don't, don't resist it. The true disciple accepts God's word as ultimate and final truth and continues in it. Two more quick things. Consider this. Jesus' words are source of assurance for true disciples. Jesus' words are a source of, of assurance. Look at verse 51. Truly, truly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my words, he will never see death. Contrast that with verse 24. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. The assurance for the true disciple comes from the fact that there is no, there is no reality in which those who truly believe in Jesus who follow and abide in his word, will taste death. Now, you'll die physically. Blaze talked about this last week, but real faith is evidenced in obedience. It's when we, when we walk in the way that Jesus walked. And for those who follow King Jesus in obedience, they can be assured that they have life, that they will not taste death. Physical death becomes just a gateway into eternal life. And we can be fully assured, friends, you can be fully assured without any question this morning that life belongs to us when the faith that joins us to Christ is shown and evidenced in our obedience to him. Third thing, very quickly, marvel at the continuity of Scripture that's all held together by Jesus Christ. You go all the way back to Genesis chapter 17. And see, everything that was spoken to Abraham there fulfilled right here in Jesus. 
Adam, to Abraham, to Jesus, now to us, his church. God is telling his story, and we are woven into it. We are part of it. God is telling his story, and Jesus brings it all to life. Jesus is the glue that holds all of Scripture together. Pursuit is next, ladies, pursuit is next weekend. You've been doing this, creation, fall, next weekend, redemption. Seeing how Jesus Christ, in those moments, holds all of this together. Over the span of a couple millennia, through many authors, Scripture was handed down. And it's telling, this is, this is incredible stuff. There is nothing like it, nothing even close to it. Generations come and go, fads, whatever. Kings, rulers, politicians, authorities, countries, empires, rise and fall. Many hundreds, even probably thousands from the time that the first words of Scripture were penned to the last. And they continue to do so, and God's word abides and stands forever. Friends, all of this is given to us in John chapter 8 to further build our faith, to feed our root system, to feed our faith, to make these roots strong and unshakable. So friends, this week, abide in Jesus' words. Believe in him and you will have truth about all of reality. In Christ, you're freed from the bondage of sin to live in intimate and irreversible relationship with your heavenly Father. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for Jesus Christ who brings it all together even before our very eyes this morning, who shows us the connection between the faith of Abraham and the works that we ought to do, that shows us that it is not by, because of our blood that we have you as our Heavenly Father, but because of our faith that joins us to the person of Jesus Christ. God, and so this morning, would we trust you more fully? Would you root out in us, according to your word, everything that we are tempted to trust in that is not you. God, we praise you for this work. It's in Jesus' name we pray.